Assemble! We don't mess around. We don't waste time. Over here at his hard line. Let's go! Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Welcome to the show. Let's get started. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening, good afternoon, and good morning, wherever you're at in the world. I am Jason, your co-host with God and Jesus Christ at my side, because they are the host with the most, and they are in charge, and they are in the captain's chair at the helm behind the wheel. Therefore, they are steering this great ship through these crazy Rough waters that we call life. So welcome to His Heart Line. And today is Tuesday, June 20th, 2023. That's Tuesday, June 20th, 2023. For all those who decided not to look at a calendar today. And you are listening to episode 563, The Banking Bust. And we will be doing a reading out of 1 Peter chapter 3 out of the five chapters in 1 Peter. So there. Um, so quickly, as a disclaimer, remember, as I always state periodically on the podcast, I am not a doctor. I don't wear a white coat and I don't play one on TV. I'm not a financial advisor, a pastor, a priest, deacon, biblical scholar, or a bar lawyer, nor do I hold any title of nobility. I do not give out legal advice. I am also not the official face or voice of the national state or county assemblies. And additionally, I do not advocate for violence. I am my own man, and the opinions, thoughts, and statements are of my own unless I reference other materials. So there you go. A little bit of housekeeping. Don't forget, I do have a website, www.hishardline.com. That's www.hishardline.com. I do have a gift set and go you can access from that page. Um, There was somebody that follows uh, uh, Madison Marquette. Um, one of her regular followers, which she wants to remain anonymous, but I did find her email on Give, Send, Go when I get my announcements and my uh, notifications, I should say, and she did a nice donation. And I was really appreciative of that. So that's ultimately going to cover uh, basically subscription fees for Podbean and my website. So that was really generous of her, and I thought that was really awesome. But yeah, I, I found out that she is one of Madison Marquette, who happens to be Someone that was a trafficked uh, woman herself, and she now has an organization where she helps rescue children who are trafficked, women who are trafficked, and uh, she does a lot of good work. So um, I really feel blessed to, to kind of have 
um, our audiences kind of blend a little bit like that. I really think that's really cool. One of these days, I'd like to get her on the air. I think she'd be a, a great guest to have on the show. Just never got around to it. It's been really challenging lately, especially June. Uh, it's been a really busy month, and August is going to be an exceptionally busy month. But July, like I said, should kind of start uh, should start kind of you know uh, leveling out a little bit. Um, so let me get to something here real quick. Let me see here. I wasn't as prepared as I thought I was on my phone here. I'm going to start off with playing a quick clip real quick. So real quick, hang in there. I want to play something. the globe that Kamala Harris, Merrick Garland, Rochelle Walensky and a whole host of other U.S. officials were never officially sworn in according to the U.S. Constitution. That means these people are operating illegally within these roles. Now, we know this intuitively, but Attorney Todd Callender, Attorney Ken Ferguson and researcher Lisa McGee are the first in the world to prove it. That's right, they have the receipts and they are doing something about it. The implications of this discovery are huge. Who are these people actually working for? That's right. That's, oh, oh, let's make sure that's shut off. But yeah, that's right. <clears throat> Who are they working for? These people that don't have any sworn in oaths of office in D.C. Um, it's very simple. It's very, very simple because first off, these people, they're not they're not lawful government. OK, that's why the assembly of people exist. OK, the lawful government exists within the de jure, not the de facto. That's Kabuki theater. But the question that she asked at the end of that video is, who are these people working for? Well, it's very, very simple. It's the international bankers worldwide. And. Again, ladies and gentlemen, you need to realize that everything that you're seeing in D.C. is indeed kabuki theater. Nobody, listen, here's the thing. Nobody, for the most part, has a sworn oath of office because with the assembly of people, you know, in, in place, okay, um, that, that that's the government that's in place interregnum, I should say, okay, and that's going to be being, that's going to end eventually be, how do I want to say this? It's going to eventually be brought as the main governing uh, body that runs this country. I mean, Donald Trump has always said it before. We are going to have a government that nobody has ever seen before. We're going to have a government that nobody will recognize. And that government is a self-governed body politic of the people in assembly. It's very, very interesting to, 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 to finally learn a little bit more of the history, which some of that I can't really dispel yet. But it is interesting to see who has been involved with Operation Restore America other than General Douglas MacArthur back in the 50s. It's interesting to learn who else was involved with that because it wasn't just General Douglas MacArthur. There were others. One of which that has a last name that you're very well familiar with today. I'll just leave it there. But until we have our de jure government, which, you know, which will ultimately reinstitute power back into the people's hands, all these people can do in D.C. is just be actors and actresses and play dress up and pretend in our house. So you got to remember, it's not their house. This is why we reassemble our states to reinstitute true government by we the people. 
See, ladies and gentlemen, here's the thing. If you're still keeping up with mainstream media and getting caught up with the 2024 presidential race stories and the narratives and and what Ron DeSanctimonious is doing and and what's going on with Mike Pence and and what's you know this this crap about uh, what Hunter Biden getting some BS dumb charges practically pretty much equivalent to jaywalking. I mean, you know, if you're keeping up with this, I'm going to tell you right now, you are way behind the eight ball. In fact, in fact, not only are you way behind the eight ball, you're not even playing on the same billiards table for that matter. In fact, you're on a ping pong table, just bouncing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, just getting slammed, getting slammed every so often to try to get you knocked off the table in a daze and to get you in a state of confusion. That's where you're at. You're not even on a pool table. You're on a ping pong table getting slammed back and forth. And all you are is just an airy little light ball. You don't even have any substance like a, you know, a a, a billiards ball. Forget being behind the eight ball. And so if you're still following that crap, how you found out about this podcast and why you might still be listening is beyond my understanding. And not, not that I don't appreciate you being here, but I'm just going to tell you one thing. Turn your damn TV set off because it is lying to you because it is all ran and operated by the CIA. Good for you, Leslie Liberty. She just put it here in the chat. I just canceled Spectrum TV so I no longer get Fox or any fake news anymore and not funding them. Yippee. That's right. You shouldn't fund them. I mean, I hate to say it, but truth be told, people get more truth and more real news on TikTok over freaking Fox News. That's saying something. That's saying something. But again, who are these people working for? They're working for the international bankers. And that's why this title of this show is called The Banking Bust. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's let's take a moment for let's take a moment for a second and shed a little light. I want to shed a little light on the dangers lurking within the fraudulent aspects of fractional banking. Now, if you've listened to other voices out there and other podcasters, you've, you're probably familiar with what fractional banking is because at least every major podcaster that's somewhat worth their salt has talked about it at some point. Now, <clears throat> While fractional banking may appear to be a cornerstone of our modern day financial system, its flaws and vulnerabilities deserve our attention and complete scrutiny, to say the least, because at its core, fractional banking operates on a delicate balance of trust. Well, what what do you mean by that, Jason, A, a delicate balance of trust? Well, think about it. We entrust our hard-earned money to banks, right? Believing that they will safeguard our deposits and ensure that their availability, that there is availability when needed. But the thing of the matter is, is that in the realm of, of fraudulent practices, where this trust is most grievously violated, the, one of the biggest foremost dangers lies in the potential for banks to engage in, in, in reckless lending practices. And we saw that in 07, 08 with the banking crisis then. And so with the ability to create money through the lending process, these banks may be tempted to loosen their lending standards a little bit or a lot, extending credit to unworthy borrowers, right? And so this results in a vicious cycle of over leveraging and leading to a, uh, 
a uh, a financial instability in a, basically an eventual collapse like we saw back in 0708 with the housing bubble and so the opacity surrounding fractional banking opens doors to deceptive practices that undermine the very fabric of our financial system and and so you 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 know you get dishonest banks out there that might engage in misleading accounting methods obscuring their true financial health and inflating their perceived stability, right? And such fraudulent activities create an illusion of strength and luring suspecting depositors into a false sense of security. Got to watch that. Because the dangers extend beyond individual banks and permeate the entire economy. Because as more money is created through these lending processes, the risk of inflation looms larger and larger. And so excessive creation of money without a corresponding increase in productive assets can lead to a devaluation of our own currency, which we're already seeing. We're seeing uh, the eroding of the purchasing power of hard working men and women, which are being burdened with higher prices for goods and services. I, I got, I got to be honest with you guys. I hate, what we're paying for groceries. I hate paying for extra money for water utilities and, and gas and electric. It sucks. And I know you guys are feeling it too. I know you are. It absolutely sucks. And moreover, the interconnectedness, here's the thing that sucks the most. The, the, the connect interconnectedness of our financial institutions amplifies the risk. Because if one bank succumbs to its fraudulent practices or faces a run, a bank run that is, right, it can trigger a domino effect destabilizing the entire banking system. We kind of saw this happen a little bit in Canada when the trucker convoy was going on up there, right? And so the repercussions are not confined within the walls of financial institutions, but they reverberate through the real economy, causing widespread unemployment and bankruptcies and, and economic downturns. Well, all the while, regulation and oversight are intended to mitigate these dangers. The reality often falls short. I wonder why that is. Well, maybe because we're all freaking criminals. I mean, it's no secret. See, the, the um, I want to say here, the, the regulatory bodies, right, overwhelmed by the complexity of the financial system. They, they, they struggle to stay ahead of this, this ever, this evolving fraudulent, you know, the, with the ever evolving fraudulent practices that are, that are, that are taking place. And so their limited resources and susceptibility to political influence weaken their ability to effectively police the banking sector, leaving loopholes for unscrupulous actors to exploit. And boy, are they exploiting every single loophole and gray area that they can find. So here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, Let, we got to be very aware of what's going on, right? We, we cannot, absolutely cannot turn a blind eye to the dangers in the fraudulent aspects of what fractional banking actually is. And, and we have to demand full disclosure and accountability and transparency and strengthened regulatory measures because it's only through rigorous scrutiny and unwavering commitment to integrity that we can protect ourselves 
our economy and the very foundations of our financial system from the perils of a fraudulent fraction, fractional banking system. This is one of the many reasons why we need to assemble our states. Well, Jason, how, how is assembling our states and standing up our republic going to fix the banking system? It's very simple. We get back to constitutional money that's backed by silver and gold, precious metals, because when you got money, sound constitutional money, that's not created and printed and coined by the Federal Reserve System, which, by the way, is not part of the government. It's a, it's a private entity. It's a private corporation, guys. So they're, they're making money unlawfully. But when you turn off the water spigot to never-ending printing and printing and printing and printing and printing of money, when you turn that off and you start putting checks and balances behind it with, with uh, backing it up with precious metals, well, guess what? All that crap and all that fractional banking nonsense stops. So we're going to get more into that here in just a second. So let's get into the reading real quick. First Peter chapter three in the new King James version. Let's, let's read a little bit of in here, starting with verse one, wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives and when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear do not let your adornment be merely outward arranging in uh, arranging the hair uh, wearing gold or putting on fine apparel rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of god for in this manner, in former times, the holy woman, women, excuse me, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good, you are not afraid with any terror. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, loving as brothers, as tender-hearted, and be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And he who is he, excuse me, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight 
souls were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, again, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. And that is the complete reading of 1 Peter chapter 3 in the New King James Version Bible, verses 1 through 22. So, so in the third chapter of the first of first Peter here, we are reminded of the importance of our conduct, right? In various aspects of life. Wives are encouraged to be submissive to their husbands and not merely through words, but through their virtues and virtuous and respectful behavior, right? They're reminded that true beauty lies with within, right? And in the gentle and quiet spirit that is precious to God. Now, husbands, on the other hand, now here's what they're called to do. Because husbands are called to honor, listen up, folks, husbands, men, okay, especially you men out there, husbands are called to honor and understand their wives, recognizing their value as fellow heirs of God's grace. And by nurturing a loving and respectful relationship, their prayers will not be hindered. Now, moving beyond the marital relationships, we're urged to be of one mind, as we read, right? Showing compassion and love to one another. And we're called to resist the temptation of retaliation and instead bless those who do us wrong. And yes, I know that's a tough thing to do. Jason, I don't know if I can do that. Yeah, I know. It's hard for me too. Because somebody does something to me, yeah, you damn right. I want to freaking, you know, go right back at him tenfold. But we got to remember, we got to resist the temptation of retaliation and instead bless those who do us wrong. Because remember, we're called to inherit blessings and a life filled with love and peace is a testimony to the goodness of God. So in times of suffering or persecution for doing what is right, we are blessed, right? We should not fear the threats or be troubled, but rather we should sanctify the Lord in our hearts and be ready to defend our faith with gentleness and reverence, right? Let our good conduct silence those who falsely accuse us. Again, let your actions speak louder than words. Let your walk, let your talk, you know, walk your talk. That's what I always say, walk your talk. And let our conscience remain clear, knowing that Christ himself suffered for our sake. We always got to keep that in the back of our mind, folks. Because through his death and resurrection, Jesus brings us closer to God. He preached even to the spirits in prison. And through his sacrifice, we find salvation. Because we're reminded of the story of Noah where only a few were saved through water, symbolizing baptism, which now saves us not as a mere cleansing of the body, but as an answer of a good conscience toward God. And so ultimately, we learn that Christ, who sits at the right hand of God, by the way, we all know that, but Christ has the authority over all things. And angels, authorities, and powers are all subject to him. Let me repeat. Angels, authorities, and powers are subject to him. So let us hold on to our faith, trust in his sovereignty, and live lives that reflect his love and teachings. Because the one thing that we need to remember is may we take away from this chapter, right? The lessons of 
humility, love, respect, and perseverance, knowing that our conduct has the power to bring others to Christ and that our suffering for righteousness sake is not in vain. So let us strive to embody the principles found in these verses and grow in our faith and bringing glory to God. Can we get an amen on that? I think that was well worth, you know, an amen, honestly. So continuing on this discussion on the fractional banking, I want to play a quick video real quick. I can't remember if I shared it on Telegram or not, but if I didn't, I will make sure I share it after the show. Let's give this a listen to a little over four minutes long. Listen very closely. Question. What are banks for? Answer. To make money. For the customers? For the banks. Why doesn't bank advertising mention this? It would not be in good taste. But it is mentioned by implication in references to reserves of $249 million or thereabouts. That is the money that they have made. Out of the customers? I suppose so. They also mention assets of $500 million or thereabouts. Have they made that too? Not exactly. That is the money they use to make money. I see. And they keep it in a safe somewhere? Not at all. They lend it to customers. Then they haven't got it? No. Then how is it assets? They maintain that it would be if they got it back. But they must have some money in a safe somewhere? Yes, usually $500 million or thereabouts. This is called liabilities. But if they've got it, how can they be liable for it? Because it isn't theirs. Then why do they have it? It has been lent to them by customers. You mean customers lend banks money? In effect, they put money into their accounts so it is really lent to the banks. And what do the banks do with it? Lend it to other customers. But you said that money they lent to other people was assets? Yes. Then... Assets and liabilities must be the same thing? You can't really say that. But you've just said it. If I put a hundred dollars into my account, the bank is liable to have to pay it back, so it's liabilities. But they go and lend it to someone else, and he is liable to have to pay it back, so it's assets. It's the same hundred dollars, isn't it? Yes, but then it cancels out. It means, doesn't it, that banks haven't really any money at all? Theoretically. Never mind theoretically. And if they haven't any money, where do they get their reserves of $249 million or thereabouts? I told you, that is the money they have made. How? Well, when they lend your $100 to someone, they charge him interest. How much? It depends on the bank rate. Say, five and a half percent. That's their profit. Why isn't it my profit? Isn't it my money? It's the theory of banking practice that when I lend them my one hundred dollars, why don't I charge them interest? You do. You don't say. How much? It depends on the bank rate. Say, half a percent. Grasping of me, rather? But that's only if you're not going to draw the money out again. 
But of course I'm going to draw it out again. If I hadn't wanted to draw it out again, I could have buried it in the garden, couldn't I? They wouldn't like you to draw it out again. Why not? If I keep it there, you say it's a liability. Wouldn't they be glad if I reduced their liabilities by removing it? No, because if you remove it, they can't lend it to anyone else. But if I wanted to remove it, they'd have to let me. Certainly. But suppose they've already lent it to another customer. Then they'll let you have someone else's money. But suppose he wants his, too, and they've let me have it. You're being purposely obtuse. I think I'm being acute. What if everyone wanted their money at once? It's the theory of banking practice that they never would. So what banks bank on is not having to meet their commitments? I wouldn't say that. Naturally. Well, if there's nothing else you think you can tell me... Quite so. Now you can go off and open a banking account. Just one last question? Of course. Wouldn't I do better to go off and open up a bank? That's right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Wouldn't it be better off to just go off and open up your own bank? See, that's very, very interesting. Now, before I continue down on this topic of uh, conversation here regarding this, um, let me uh, look real quick at the list of people that we got here. Just wanted to gonna do a quick shout out uh, to some of our regulars that always show up over here. We got Lisa in Georgia, my beautiful wife, Katie. We got the, the great white North Frosty, the snowman, Destry, Payne. We got Oscar there in Missouri. D. Schuster, Leslie Liberty. Next page. Who else we got here? Liz Anella, April K, Nancy S, Amber Rose, and Angel Eyes. Welcome, guys. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad to see you all here. I hope everybody's having a good week so far. So, <clears throat> real quick. So, uh, but yeah, it, it, that not it so interesting? Again, the banking bust. See, the banks rely on not having to fulfill their obligations. See, the events in 07 and 08, I'm sure you guys all remember that, right? I remember that time because I had just moved down to Florida right around uh, that time in 2007. And I remember because I used to work for a bank when I lived in Wisconsin. I was a personal banker for a bank called Guarantee Bank. And then when I moved down to Florida, I was trying to get with a um, with a county or uh, it, was a, it was Charlotte State Bank, I think is what it was called down there. And they had a new bank that they were building. It was newly constructed. It was almost completed, but not quite like it was fully built. But it took months before, like I kept getting a runaround. Oh, we're going to open. We're going to open on this day. We're going to open on that day. And, and they guaranteed me a job. I went through the interview. Everything was good. Like I was trying to move. Like this is before I woke up to how corrupt the banking system is. And I, I needless to say, I never got that job because the bank never opened. And so, you know, the events in 07, 08, commonly referred to as the financial crisis or, you know, the Great Recession, you know, that had a very profound and lasting impact on the lives of many people. I'm sure a lot of you remember that quite vividly. I mean, because the crisis was triggered by, again, a combination of factors, including risky lending practices and bursting, you know, the bursting of the housing bubble and the interconnectedness of the global financial system and banks and financial institutions. They all played a central role in this crisis, causing severe harm to many men and women, families, and basically overall the economy. 
there are a lot of people went homeless. A lot of people lost their 401ks, which, you know, that's a different story for a different day. But, you know, all that's part of the freaking, you know, satanic, you know, Babylonian money magic system. But, you know, one of the primary drivers of the crisis was the collapse of several major banks and financial institutions. And so, you know, you had institutions like Lehman Brothers, um, I think AIG, Face Insurmountable financial difficulties. I think there was Bear Stearns, right? And they all led to their failure. You know, all these financial difficulties basically led to their, you know, failure or their near collapse. And so these failures sent shockwaves through the financial system, leading to a loss of confidence and led to credit freezes, right? And basically just led to a huge, significant downturn in the economy. I'll never forget it. That was crazy. You know, the repercussions of these bank collapses and the collaborations were felt by millions of Americans. Now, here were some of the, you know, ways that this debacle that occurred at that time, how it hurt many, many, many men and women across America. One of the biggest ways was obviously the housing market collapse. And that's right. So my, my mom's on here in the chat. I forgot about that. You know, she got stuck with two houses back at that time. And not to mention, if I recall correctly, because she was in a, she was working for a company that um, she was in, I believe the marketing department of sorts where she would write press releases and different things like that. You know, typically ladies and gentlemen, when, when a company goes through an economic downturn and tries to trim fat, they usually kind of get rid of uh, areas that they don't need per se, right? And marketing was typically one of those ones. It was for, yeah, a home theater company. And so not only was she in a job that was very vulnerable to being cut, but she was stuck with two houses at that time. I mean, talk about having your hands tied behind your back. That sucks, I'm sure. And so, you know, the housing market collapse, that crisis originated from the housing market as risky lending practices and the scrutinization of subprime mortgages created a housing bubble. Because when the bubble burst, home prices plummeted, as we all remember, leaving many homeowners with negative equity, right? Being upside down in their loans and countless families faced foreclosure, eviction, financial ruin, and overall just losing their most significant asset and and really often their, their life savings when you think about it. A lot of people dealt with job losses and unemployment because the financial crisis triggered a severe recession, resulting in widespread job losses, high unemployment rates, businesses particularly, you know, those heavily that were reliant on credit. Yeah, they faced difficulties in accessing capital, which guess what? Led to layoffs and downsizing. I mean, my mom was just saying right here, she was laid off. One of the many, many casualties in America from that time frame. Many individuals experienced unemployment, wage cuts, reduced working hours, sometimes, you know, exasperating, you know, financial hardship and creating long-term economic challenges. I mean, here's another area. I mean, so, you know, the retirement savings and investments, again, that's a whole different story for a different time. But, but, you know, the crisis had a detrimental impact on retirement savings, especially for those that were already in their golden years, right? Who already had, you know, built up investment portfolios, right? The stock market experienced significant declines, which quite frankly, good. I mean, here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, remember my disclaimer at the beginning of the show, I am not a financial advisor. So just remember that as we proceed in this topic of discussion, 
But remember, you know, the stock market experienced significant declines, eroding the value of retirement accounts and investment holdings. Retirees and other individuals nearing retirement saw their savings diminish, basically jeopardizing their financial security and forcing them to reassess their retirement plans. A lot of people had to go back to work. Another area that it really hit people was with the credit crunch and the reduced, you know, the and reduced access to financing, which I'm not so sure of. That might have been a really bad unintended consequence to all this. I mean, because quite frankly, here's the thing, you know, what's the Bible say? You know, the borrower slave to the lender, right? Again, it's all Satan's system. But as banks faced massive losses and tightened lending standards, individuals and small businesses found it very increasingly difficult to obtain credit. Loans for mortgages, small businesses, right? Student loans, consumer credit became harder to obtain, limiting economic growth and entrepreneurship and personal financial opportunities. Why? Because many people had to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy or Chapter 13. I forgot what that one is, but, you know, so many had to file for bankruptcies. Here's another lasting impact that really occurred for a lot of people during that time. See, we always think about the financial aspect of it, but remember, this had a very large psychological and emotional impact on many, many. There was, well, I'm sure a lot of people who committed suicide over this because they didn't know what to do, right? Because the financial crisis took a toll on the mental well-being of many Americans. And, and so the uncertainty, the fear, the stress, the, the despair, oops, sorry, guys, the despair that was caused by the financial instability that people were feeling, right? The job loss, the housing insecurity had a huge significant psychological consequence on people's minds. Increased rates of anxiety and depression and stress-related illnesses were reported during this period. I mean, it was a, it was a bloodbath, uh, metaphorically speaking, on the middle class. You know... The broader impact of that crisis affected the entire economy, right? The entire country. The stock market experienced sharp declines, wiping out trillions of dollars in wealth, right? The, the housing market slump and, and, and subsequent foreclosures led to a decline in property values, impacting not just homeowners, but also communities and local governments that relied on property tax revenues. The overall economic downturn resulted in reduced consumer spending and business failures and prolonged recovery period. Now, it's been said, and I believe it wholeheartedly, that this was a kind of a time where I, I, I thought I heard that we were literally just hours away from our complete banking system completely collapsing and burning to ash, never to be returned again. I had heard that. I believe it. But of course, what happened? The bailouts, right? So in response to that crisis, the U.S. de facto government implemented various measures to stabilize the financial system. How so? By this thing that we call bank bailouts and economic stimulus packages, right? Because while these measures helped prevent the complete collapse of the financial system and it supported recovery, the scars of that crisis remain. And many men and women and communities are actually probably still recovering from that impact. And here we are today about to probably suffer another economic downturn, but worse than what we saw back in 07 and 08. Again, now more than ever, we're, we're, we are experiencing another buildup 
that's going to lead to another collapse. That's going to be much bigger and much more profound than what we saw back in 07, 08. Especially now that the world is stepping away from the U.S. dollar as the reserve currency of the world, right? Other countries are buying oil using other currencies. They're not using the U.S. dollar anymore. And so the minute people start catching up to what's actually happened with the financial system and what's going on, the people are going to start losing faith in the U.S. dollar. I mean, if it's already started, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to grow larger and larger. And so I believe personally that, you know, that I believe will be the same moment when that happens. I believe that'll be the same moment where people will lose faith also in the financial system as a whole, right? Bankings causing the ultimate collapse of collapses to be, and again, to be worse than we've probably ever experienced or ever seen in our, in our lifetime. But again, in order to get back to sound money, right? Constitutional money. And back to a sound, honest financial system, back to where, you know, our money is backed by precious metals like gold and silver. You know, this whole Babylonian satanic banking system needs to completely fail, burn to ash and never be resurrected again. That's where it needs to go. And yes, there is this thing called the quantum financial system. And yes, I have been privy to a little a bit of information that's already implemented. In fact, we're already on like, I think, version eight or nine of it, of the quantum financial system. Don't ask me how I know that. But it's already implemented. It's already out. But, but let's get back to the topic for a moment on fractional banking, what we started with talking about. See, fractional banking is a banking system where banks are required, again, if you're not familiar with it, to hold only a fraction of their customers' deposits as reserves. What does that mean? It means that when you deposit money in a bank, the bank is not required to keep the entire amount on hand. So instead, they can lend it out or lend out a portion of the deposited money to other borrowers or invest it in their various assets to generate profits. And so the fraction of reserves that banks must hold is determined by central banks or regulatory authorities to ensure stability in the financial system. That stability is not very stable, is it? And so the reserve requirement helps banks maintain liquidity and meets the demands of depositors who may want to withdraw their money at any time. And so the interesting aspect, though, here's, here's where it gets a little interesting. So the interesting aspect of fractional banking is that Banks can create money through the process of lending, right? Just poof, out of thin air, right? And when a bank lends money, it accredits the borrower's account to the loan amount, right? Which effectively increases the money supply. However, the total money supply in the economy is larger than the actual physical reserves held by the banks due to this lending process. So the system can stimulate economic growth by providing funds, sure, right, for investments and consumption, but however, it does carry large risk. Well, what risk would that be? I, I, I don't know. Um, maybe bank runs, for example, right? Bank runs, bank, bank runs by depositors who lose confidence. Or if a bank engages in excessive lending, right? Reckless lending like we saw back in 07, 08. And so to mitigate these risks, regulatory frameworks and oversight have to be in place in order to ensure the stability and soundness of the banking system. But I, I don't think that's really there, ladies and gentlemen, to be quite honest with you, I don't think it's there. 
because the fractional banking banking carries inherent risk, particularly when it comes to, again, with the bank runs and potentially drying up of the money supply. And so when a bank run occurs, that's when you get a large number of depositors losing confidence all at once in a bank's ability to fulfill its obligations. I think we're very close to that. And honestly, it has to happen so we can finally get on with the, the, this new system. What new system, Jason? Oh, you know, the constitutional money system that's backed by precious metals, that system, right? An honest system. Because the loss of confidence can be triggered by various factors, like I said, such as rumors, right? You got to watch out for the fake news. That's one way to, to, to cause a bank run, right? Rumors. You see it all the time. Some crazy news piece hits the mainstream news, the lamestream fake news media, and all of a sudden people are, you know, somehow doing different funky things with their investment portfolios or making bank runs. I mean, it's amazing what the news can do to people's financial um, habits, right? Can cause financial instability, right? And the concerns about the overall health of the banking system can also trigger big bank runs, right? If people are just starting to realize, crap, um, these banks really aren't going to hold up much longer. We might want to start kind of taking our, you know, our fiat dollars and putting it in gold and silver. Just saying. Food, guns, ammo, hell, even artwork. Build up your wine cellar for crying out loud. Just get out of paper. Go buy some dirt somewhere. Dirt? Yeah, land. Get into actual assets. See, land can turn seeds into this thing called veggies and fruit, right? Crops. And so, again, when depositors panic and they rush to withdraw their funds, it can strain the bank's ability to meet the sudden surge in withdrawal request. And I agree with exactly what uh, what Destry was saying here because Bixweer says the same thing, who follows silver very closely for the last 20 plus years. But you, if you buy silver, folks, the banks will crash. You need to buy silver. Again, remember my disclaimer at the beginning of the, at the beginning of the show. But silver is going to help crash the banking system. But not enough people are doing that yet. I mean, it's increasing, but there still needs to be more people to get out there and buy some more silver. Yeah, and I agree with Destry on this, too. He says, I wish the banks would have crashed back in no way. We would have already been on an asset-backed money by now. But, of course, you know, the de facto government did what they did. And so, you know, again, if a bank run were to happen, the banks may not have enough. In fact, it's not even may. They will not have enough physical cash on hand to satisfy all the depositors' demands for withdrawal. I mean, that's just a fact. I mean, here's the thing. There's not even bank runs going on right now, ladies and gentlemen. If I go to my credit union up the road and I ask to withdraw five grand, they're like, oh, sorry, there's only a three grand or a four grand limit. You can come back tomorrow and, and get another three grand. It's like, no, I want five grand today. Well, we can't do that. You can get three grand today and then go up the road to a different bank and get three grand. So then you have six grand. I'm like, yeah, but I want five grand right now, right here at this location. Oh, well, sorry, sir. That's not going to happen. Oh, why? Well, we just need to put in an order for money. 
An order for money? Okay. Folks, it's not even a bank run, and my bank limits us to like three or four grand a day. That's crap. You see what I'm saying here? And that's a that's a that's a credit union that doesn't even have bank runs going on. Imagine when people start doing bank runs. Whoo, people are gonna start freaking out. See, again, this is because banks operate on the assumption that not all depositors will simultaneously request their funds all at once. They're banking on that, no pun intended, but they're banking on you not doing that. They don't want you to do that. They rely on the fact that only a fraction of depositors will typically withdraw money at any given time. However, during a bank run, again, this assumption collapses and the banks will face a severe liquidity crisis. Quite frankly, I wanna see bank runs happen like yesterday. I wanna see these banks get destroyed. This is why I carry cash. Not because I want to be freaking, you know, uh, Mr. King Kong cash here in the neighborhood. No, because when people can't access cash in their accounts and they start freaking out, I want to be able to help people buy food to keep them calm because there's a lot of children in this neighborhood. And I know what it's like when you're a parent, and you're trying to keep your kids fed. I want to keep a, you know, help maintain a level of sanity in my local community so we can stay, you know, calm, you know, cool heads prevail, right? And so, and it's, it's interesting, Leslie Liberty says this, it's getting harder and harder to find places that take cash. Yes and no. There's an Aldi up the road, my wife was telling me, that now our Aldi has all self-checkouts except one line. She said when she went there, the self-checkouts only do credit card, right? Or whatever it is, right? The digital crap, pay by phone, whatever the hell they do. And the line that has a manned, uh, you know, uh, that's manned by a man or a woman. That's the line that you're able to pay with cash. I'll give you a guess on which line had the most people in it. It was the line that had the actual man behind the cash register or woman. I wasn't there, but the actual man or woman behind the cash register paying with cash. We went to uh, great wolf lodge. That was the same thing there. We could not pay cash at any gift shop or for any restaurant there. It was either by debit card, credit card, or your little room wristband that you have that can get you in and out of your room in different parts of the park. You could also pay with that. Once you hit $500 on your account, then they, you know, they debit your account and they charge you the 500 if you go over $500. But, you know, there is nowhere in that park you could pay cash. Not that I would really want to because you get freaking completely raked over the coals financially to get a crappy burger and crappy, uh, um, oh, what was it, um, chicken Alfredo that had no taste to it. But yet we spent a ton of money on that dinner and it sucked. So honestly, I'd rather just go to a restaurant that actually takes cash. Look, it might be inconvenient, folks, but, you know, here's the thing. Yes, there may be a lot of places out there that don't accept cash. Find them, though. They do exist. It's not impossible. Find them. I have a lot of people, places around here locally that I know that I would go to if worse came the worst. I typically shop at certain stores, but if those certain stores only accepted card and did not accept cash. Now, granted, I don't walk around paying with cash. I mean, look, I'll, I'll give you a nice little, um, what do you want to call it? I'll, I'll give you a, a little, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? 
confession. I don't typically carry cash a lot. I usually use my debit card. I used to carry cash a lot. I usually typically carry my debit card. It's convenient. However, I do carry cash physically. I just don't carry it on in my pockets. Okay. But if I had to, it would be no problem. Again, if a bank fails to meet withdrawal demands, it further erodes depositor confidence, leading to a vicious cycle, right? Because other depositors may also rush to withdraw their funds, exasperating the situation. This can cause and create a large systemic risk where multiple banks' experience runs simultaneously. Next thing you know it, it destabilizes the entire financial system. I would love to see that happen. And yeah, Destry makes a very good point. It, money is legal tender for all debts, public and private. You can actually sue the crap out of them for all debts. That's right. You know, it's funny that Leslie Liberty talked about, I, I should start carrying cash when we go grocery shopping actually now, because like I know Costco will carry, you know, they'll take cash, not self-checkout, but I know Sam's Club will, I, and I refuse to go to Sam's Club, but I'm just saying, right? There's still big box stores that take cash. It might be an inconvenience because it might be a longer line, but there's still places that do it, right? So here's the thing. To address the risk associated with fractional banking, you know, the regulatory bodies and the central banks play a very crucial role because they, they, they implement safeguards such as deposit insurance, which that only goes so far, right? And uh, reserve requirements, again, that only goes so far. And lender of last resort facilities, again, only goes so far because, again, you know, just none of this really is a huge guarantee, to be quite frank with you. It, it, none of it is. Remember the biblical account of Jesus flipping the money changer tables in a temple, right? Provide That provided a powerful analogy that resonates with the issue of the corrupt banks in today's world. Because both instances highlight the detrimental consequences of financial corruption and the misuse of power. April K was just saying right here, I won't give business to any place that won't accept cash. No more major league sports, concert venues, etc. Good for you. Absolutely good for you. Yes. But back to, you know, Jesus and, and the money changers. Because in the Bible, remember. Jesus entered the temple and witnessed the money changers taking advantage of devout worshipers. And these individuals exploited their positions by charging exorbitant fees and engaging in fraudulent practices. And Jesus, driven by a profound sense of justice and desire to restore the sanctity of the temple, overturned the tables, right, cracked whips, and denounced the corruption that had tainted the sacred space. And so we look at today's world in similarity, we witness instances of corrupt banks that betray the trust of their customers and they engage in fraudulent activities. These banks may manipulate interest rates, right? They engage in predatory lending practices. They exploit complex financial instruments for personal gain. You know, such actions not only harm people, men and women and businesses, but they can also have far-reaching consequences for the overall stability of the financial system. But again, who cares? Let it collapse. Let it all freaking calm down. Again, the parallel between these two scenarios lies in the fundamental principle that they address 
Both Jesus's actions in the temple and the exposure of the corrupt banks challenged the abuse of power. The erosion of trust and the distortion of financial systems that should serve the greater good, but they don't. And moreover, these instances emphasize the importance of integrity and transparency and accountability of these financial institutions, just as Jesus sought to restore the temple to its rightful purpose. See, that's why we are reassembling, folks, to restore this country, restore the temple to its rightful purpose with God centered at the heart of it. But see, these de facto demons are trying to take God and the Bible out of the equation. I wonder why. So it's important that we strive to uphold the integrity of our financial institutions with sound money backed by precious metals, right? And demand ethical and moral behavior from those that we entrust with managing our financial systems. It's crucial. Look, I'm not saying all banks are corrupt. Make no mistake. I'm not saying all banks are corrupt, but here's the thing. Just as all not, you know, not all money changers in the biblical account were dishonest, but you've got to remember, these narratives serve as reminders of the potential dangers posed by corrupt individuals. And there's a lot of corruption within these institutions that have positions of financial authority. There's a lot of corruption. Corruption breeds corruption. And again, so as we reflect on that story of Jesus flipping the money changers tables and cracking whips, unleashing, you know, I mean, forgive me for saying, but holy hell on these people. You know, we're reminded of the need for vigilance and the responsibility to hold these corrupt banks accountable by advocating for robust, you know, regulation and ethical practices, so on and so forth. So, again, ladies and gentlemen, I know I went a little long-winded tonight. But this is why we need to reassemble our states, because when the people have the power back in their hands, we can make certain that these corrupt institutions no longer take advantage of the people here in America, right? And worldwide, for that matter. It's up to us to make certain that these corrupt institutions no longer take advantage and profit off the backs of we the people. We need to reinstitute the temple, just like Jesus was doing. Again, reemphasizing the importance of reassembling our states and standing back up our republic. So what's the key takeaway here? Again, ladies and gentlemen, remember, I'm not a financial advisor, but gold and silver have historically been favored as real money due to their inherent properties and tangible value. We need to remember that. It has intrinsic value. There's limited supply. Therefore, it can't have a never-ending printing press behind it. It has a store of value historically and biblically, biblically. And generally speaking, gold and silver is universally recognized. You don't need an exchange rate to figure out how much gold or silver you need to buy a gallon of milk here in America versus a gallon of milk over in Europe. It's a global recognized and accepted form of payment in a store of wealth. It's easily recognizable. It's divisible. It's fungible. It's, it's, it, you know, you can make them a convenient medium of exchange and international trading. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, 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 it's recognized worldwide. It's got history. It's got tradition behind it. And with gold and silver pegged to the American dollar, this disables the ability for the corrupt federal reserve system, which is privately owned again, by the way, a privately owned entity to print never ending money for our corrupt de facto government. Like I said at the beginning of the show, 
I'm not a financial advisor, and everything that I discuss here on this show should be diligently researched and discussed with professional and trusted financial advisors, assuming that you have one on your side, because it's important to find a financial advisor who has the heart of a teacher and who is truly looking after your financial interest and not so much looking after their own commission. It's like Oscar was saying right here, you can rub silver nickels together and they won't catch fire. Just saying, that's right. Know the truth and it will set you free, he said. Again, I'm not going to tell you what I personally do, but I try to keep a blend of, you know, a 50-50 blend, if you will, between fiat and, and precious metals. And as much as I would love to trade all our worthless dollars for precious metals, I, I still have to keep money in paper form, you know, physically and somewhat in the banks too, in the credit union, I should say, because, you know, again, we still have to live life in this stupid system, right? We need to, we want to have vacations. We need to buy food and pay for bills and, you know, and obviously have some money for emergency purposes when stupid things pop up out of the blue, like maybe an engine blow up or something like that. You, you just never know when, when, you know, when life hits you, you know, upside the head. It's hard to balance and maintain because you don't want to be left stranded in a vulnerable financial system when that collapse actually comes, right? And yeah, like Leslie Liberty says, you still have to unfortunately play in their freaking sandbox for now. I mean, she didn't say freaking. That was me adding that in there. But, but you know, here's the thing. Get your assets in your own house because only you know what you need to live and only you know your own situation better than anyone else. So take everything to God and ask for wise discernment. That's really all I got for you. So I, I think it's a perfect place to maybe pray now. <laughs> I kind of, like I said, went a little long winded, but heavenly father, we just want to say thank you so much for, for giving us this time together and for giving us these lessons. And, you know, we just ask that you, you guide us in our financial house, we know that the systems that are instituted around the world with banks and, and, um, you know, the financial, you know, with, with the federal reserve system and a de facto government, like we understand that everything is all pretty much developed and, and, and instituted by saying, we understand that we want no part of that. We don't want to be part of that anymore. And we honestly, we just rather see it all just crash and crumble because we know we need to get back to sound money. We need to get back to constitutional money, right? Stuff that has always been discussed in your good book, the Holy Bible, gold and silver. So we just pray that you just help us every step of the way. Show us where we need to go. Guide us. We ask that you guide our thoughts, our words, our actions, and we pray for our assembly of states, our, our de jure government, for our grand juries that are by the people, for the people, that are of the people. And we just pray that you continuously keep ascending us higher and higher while these demons descend lower and lower into the pits of hell. And we pray for all those who have hidden prayers in their hearts because, you know, if, for those that, you know, special intention prayers, for those that are too shy to put prayer here in the chat, or for those that don't know really how to put it in words in general, they just, you know, they just don't know how to word it. So we just ask that you look into the hearts of those who have special prayers deep in their heart. And we pray that you can answer them in a, in a timely fashion, you know, that fits your will, of course, and your plan. But we know that you have all of us in favor. And so we pray for the good health of everyone out there. 
And we pray all this in your Holy Son's name, Jesus Christ. And and again, yeah, and like Oscar puts here, we, we pray for the assembly of our states. Yes. The successful assembly of our states. And we pray all of this in your Holy Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen, ladies and gentlemen. Like I said, sorry for going a little long-winded, but there you go. That's the banking bus there. We need to see the banking bus through. And if we're going to see the banking bus through, you got to go get yourself some silver, even if it's just a couple of ounces. You know, if everybody in this country or around the world just bought a few ounces of silver, that alone would kill the banks, bar none. So... Ladies and gentlemen, we will be back here. Let's see, tomorrow, I believe, yeah, I'll be here at 7 o'clock. But I do have I do have a phone. Uh, let's see here. Let me think about this for a second. I think I have an appointment. I got to look at my calendar. I have too many damn appointments. July, excuse me, June and August are just completely packed with with, with stuff. I, I just, I just, I, you know, I, yeah, I'm losing my mind with, with all these things I got to do. <laughs> like I'm pretty certain I got a dentist appointment coming up. I just don't know when. So again, um, if I have a show tomorrow, it will still be at seven, but it might be shortened up a little bit. I think I can't remember. I got, I'll find out more tomorrow. But anyways, I hope you all have a blessed day. Ladies and gentlemen, we will be back on the air tomorrow. If nothing else, we'll start a half hour early, but I'll put it out there in telegram more than likely. It'll be at six 45 of anything, right? I might start 15 minutes early. So I hope you all have a great day and we'll see you back here tomorrow. God bless. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, remember, ladies and gentlemen, we are firm, we are steadfast and we are uncompromising. The enemy has crossed that line for the last time. It is up to people like you and I to hold that line. They've crossed the line way too many times, and it is time for us to stand up this republic and get after it. We gotta do this for God. We gotta do this for our families. We gotta do this for America, for the voiceless. It's time to get after it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining the show.
Don't forget to check out the website, www.hisheartline.com. And if you want to know more about how to get involved with your assembly, go to www.national-assembly.net. That's www.national-assembly.net. It's time to get active, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go. Joining us here at His Heart Line. We'll see you back here next time.